Happy Alien Day, horror fans. Anchor Pete here, and I am with my chest-bursting buddy over there, Dr. Zayas G.O.D., Danny Torkel. Hello, sir. What's up? What's going on? Danny, I get super fucking excited on uh, April 26th, LV426, because I love the Alien series so much. And last year, I got the idea, hey, let's make a video for each one of my three channels focusing on some kind of alien property. And you, my friend, had such a great recommendation. You were able to tie in Shudder to all of this. And so you want to tell everybody what we're going to talk about today? Uh, so Shudder put uh, this really great documentary that was made back in 2019 called Memory, The Origins of Alien. Uh, it put it back on its... Uh, on its rotation this month, uh, probably for 426 coming up on Tuesday or today, depending on when we're releasing this. Um, it was directed by Alexander O'Philippe, and he's pretty much the best documentarian of like behind the scenes on horror films. Uh, he's done uh, Doc of the Dead, which was about. Um, I think Night of the Living Dead and, and the zombie movies. He did right. uh, 7852, which is about the infamous shower scene in Psycho. Uh, he also did Leap of Faith, which is basically just an, an incredible conversation with William Friedkin about The Exorcist. Uh, and then he also did one of his first ones was The People versus George Lucas, which I don't know if you ever saw that. I know you, you're a Star Wars, probably a bigger Star Wars fan than I am, and I love Star Wars. But that was a super fun documentary. Also, this guy really knows what he's doing with, uh, especially genre film documentaries. Uh, and like I was telling you before we started recording, I was taking notes for about the first 40, 45 minutes, and then I just put the pen down because I was just enjoying this documentary so much, and I've seen it already. This is the second time I'm watching it, and I was just so enthralled with everything, all the behind-the-scenes stuff about one of the greatest sci-fi horror films ever made. Uh, I was just like, you know what? I, I'm going to put the pen down, just enjoy the rest of this. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was really fucking enjoyable, and I want to check out his other documentaries because... Um, I just like how well made this was. And um, it has a really interesting beginning, which I want to talk to you about. But I wanted to mention that Psycho documentary that you talked about, 7852, because I just looked him up on Wikipedia. And the way that they described that documentary was it was like a, a documentary that focused on the shower scene in Psycho. And I feel like with this documentary, Memory of the Origins of Alien, there was a big focus on the chest burster scene in particular. Yeah, the whole like last 20 to 25 minutes. Yeah. Uh, is Yeah, so I I like the idea of thinking about a movie and thinking about like sort of the iconic moments of a movie. And um, you know, here's spoilers for Alien and spoilers for 7 if you guys haven't seen these movies that are like decades old. But I feel like in the case of these two movies, at least, there's often behind the scenes stories of like, well, this movie wasn't going to get made or it was hard to sell this movie. But then there's this one scene and people always talk about how they're like, this is the scene that everyone is going to remember. And of course, when you talk about Alien, 
you talk about the chestburster scene when you talk about seven you talk about the head in the box scene and it's like these moments that that's what everyone remembers and it almost seems like you know lightning strikes when someone comes up with that particular idea and that's a big focus of this documentary yeah you know uh, to your point there's at least three or four times where they talk about people who were like skeptical of the film and then they read the script and they all have this moment of like fuck me like right. where they get to that part in the script and they're like oh shit. and there's the yeah. really great line from um the guy who wrote the film with dan o'bannon uh shush it right yes where he he called where he was the one that came up with the idea of like um how the 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 monster would get inside of Kane, the character of Kane. And I just love the the scene in the documentary where he like wakes up Dan O'Bannon. He's like, I got it. I got it. The alien's gonna fuck him. Right, right. <laughs> and and there's so much of that. Uh and and that of course leads to the chest bursting scene. And they like Roger Corman, even Ridley Scott, who's not actually they they show interviews with him. He's not like a talking head in this, but right. uh, he even talks about in interviews about how he was like reading the script, okay, and then he got to that scene and was like, okay, here we go. Right, right. And, and so I, I definitely want to go in depth about the chestburster scene, um, and so we can kind of get to that towards the end because that's how it is in the documentary, um, but like you just mentioned a bunch of players that are behind the scenes of this movie of, of alien. And we see, uh, I think his name is Ronald Shushit. I can't even say his fucking last name, but we, he's interviewed in this. And like you said, you see clips of Ridley Scott. The thing about this documentary is that I've seen a few documentaries now about the making of alien or things that are sort of tangential to the making of alien. Like, um, and you probably have this on the shelf right behind you. But there's these great fucking uh, alien DVDs that came out in a set, and you could get each one individually. And they had these like making of alien documentaries, and they use some of the footage from them in this movie, like especially when they're talking to Dan O'Bannon, you know. And um, I loved, I loved that fucking documentary, and I'd watch it over and over again. Yeah, the, I, the only yeah. set I have up there is like the original Alien four pack. I think it's DVD, is not even Blu-rays. That's how old that is. In fact, oh. when I introduced Charlotte to Alien and Aliens, instead of pulling that off the shelf, I found them streaming. Uh, and for Aliens, we watched like the two and a half hour, the two hour and forty minute extended, the H Haley's Hope edition with like the whole extra and. I'm almost 40. We're almost 40 years old. I had never seen that before. And I'm like, whoa, like, it's like watching uh, Terminator 2 with all the, uh, you can watch Terminator 2 with the, all the extra footage in there too. And it, it's very, it's jarring almost yes. to watch, uh, especially for the first time. But yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm really glad that you brought that up too, because uh, like I said, we're, we're recording this on all three of my channels. On the Anchor Pete channel, we're going to have Danny come over too. And we're going to talk about aliens uh, in depth too. And then on the other channel that I do with my friend Brian, who's been on this channel before, uh, we're going to, on Comic Books Transformed, we're going to talk about the first Marvel comic of an alien book. Because Marvel recently got the rights to Alien. 
And so we're going to talk about the very first alien trade. That's right. The alien queen is now a Disney princess. Yes, yes, yes. And there is an interesting kind of female alien in that book that's not the alien queen. So if you, I want you to check out that episode, me and Brian too. But um, the the documentary that I was talking about, I love so much because it's it's a well done documentary as well. And it just there's so many interesting things about the creation of Alien and just going from um, Dan O'Bannon's story idea to the final product. And um, besides that, there's also, and I'm sure you've seen this too, I think we've even talked about it, but Yodorowsky's Dune too. That's I, another- I've actually never seen the documentary. Um, okay. I, so I just did a review for our channel on um, the Cursed Films episode of Stalker. And yeah. Stalker is directed by Andre Tarkovsky, who's this mm-hmm. very well-known uh, genre director. Right. And I mentioned in that review how there's always these, There's, a, I consider myself a cinephile, you know, mock me all you want, comment section. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've watched a lot of classic films, all genres, and there are some directors that have just completely flew under my radar. Tarkovsky is mm-hmm. one and Jodorowsky is another. And so I, it's funny. I actually wrote down Jodorowsky's Dune, and then I circled it and wrote, "Watch it." Like yes. I, I, I'm obs- Like I know the whole story behind Jodorowsky, like being like set to make Dune, and then it getting like pulled out from under him, and basically David Lynch made it and he considers it like his worst movie. Oh, absolutely. Yes, his biggest failure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I actually went on a podcast, and one of the guys that's going to join us for our Aliens discussion on Anchor Pete is Mike Bongiorno. And on his podcast, we specifically talked about Yodorowsky's Dune and David Lynch's Dune and then uh, the Denny Villeneuve Dune. But the interesting thing about Yodorowsky's Dune is I've never seen any of his film either, but um, he is a super passionate guy. And one of the focuses of Yodorowsky's Dune is that he brought together this team of like artists and creators, including Dan O'Bannon and then uh, Giger and then Mobius too, who's another artist as well. And they didn't mention the other artists working on Alien in this documentary, but they really focused on Giger a lot. And um, big part of this documentary was how important it was that Dan O'Bannon met Giger and then brought Giger onto Alien. It's and amazing they how Giger got fired. And, right. And, and and then they they mentioned, and there are things, because I, I said I've watched this documentary. This is the second time I watched it. Things that I remembered, but then also things that I forgot. Like, I forgot Walter Hill was attached to direct this. <laughs> and I cannot, like, Walter Hill is kind of like a gritty, um, like, kind of films like action movies type yeah. like doesn't he do like didn't he end up doing the beverly hills cop movies something man yeah he's definitely made some 80s action movies and i, I think, think he he might have done the warriors yes so like when i think of walter hill i i i think of like alien is just literally in another universe from what i would i think of with walter hill so right. thank god Right. And no disrespect to Walter Hill. I just thank God Ridley Scott got attached to it. And yeah, it's basically, you know, you have O'Bannon and then you have Geiger or Giger. And then you have Ridley Scott is actually the third part of that that comes together. 
And like yes. this three-headed monster ends up creating, you know, the film. Yes, yes, yes. And for that three-headed monster, um, one of my absolute favorite aspects is Ridley Scott. I the more I am inter, you know, watch things about him, watch his interviews, the more I love him. And the thing is, I, I often like rank my five favorite directors, and I never put him in it. But I, I think back on it, and I'm like, dude, he is just this incredible, incredible fucking talent. Like, every fucking movie he makes is beautiful. And, and some of the things that he's made are just, like, next level, like, nothing's even close to it. An alien... They, it, it, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, because they one of the things that they mention here that um, in, in this documentary is Ridley Scott as a visual storyteller. Mm-hmm. And it's weird that because his filmography is so expansive, you think of him as like this master director first. But then I stop and I think and I go, you know, he's weird for me. I don't love a lot of his films, but oh. even the films of his I don't love, they're gorgeous. Like yep. Prometheus is the greatest example. Prometheus yep. is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. I could list, I, I have a, a list a mile long of flaws with Prometheus. I don't hate it, but it's a flawed film, but it's gorgeous. Um, When I teach global history, I always show parts of Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, Uh, Kingdom of Heaven was his two and a half hour sprawling epic about the Crusades. It's not a great movie. It's slow. It's boring. Uh, there are large sections of this like historical epic about a holy war where nothing happens. That said, it is stunning to watch. And I like I cherry pick five to ten scenes that last about 20, 25 minutes for my students. And you can't hear a pin drop in the room because everybody's actually focused on the film. Uh, I would never show them the whole movie, but it's just beautiful to watch. And you really yeah. get that at like they even mentioned when he came on, the first thing he did was he started storyboarding. He didn't even like write anything. He just immediately went to storyboarding and you really get a sense of him as a, as a visual uh, presenter more than just a a filmmaker. Right. And, and one of the best things about this documentary is they talk about how involved he is. They talk about how he essentially shot 80% 80% of the movie. And I think sometimes people get confused and they think that the director is the guy behind the camera too, but he's not. But in this case, Ridley was using the camera. He was taking the shots himself. And um, he also set up the lighting. They mentioned how he set up a lot of the lighting in the movie too. So it's very much like his vision. And one of the things that they mentioned in this documentary, see, this is one of the reasons why I love this documentary so much is that I always feel like I know so much about Alien, but then I get these little tidbits in this movie that are like things that you wouldn't necessarily know from like reading about the production of it but it's like little insights that they have and they were talking about how ridley scott is always moving the camera in the movie the the camera's never like static and just like static shots where people walk in it's always like the camera's moving there's a lot of it's a lot of handheld footage that gives that sense of realism but it, it they say or ridley scott says in this documentary that it, it makes things tense, that you like it never slows down. You always feel on edge. And it, that's the thing that I never thought of, but obviously watching the movie, I've felt that effect since the very first time I ever saw it. 
So yeah. like, that's why I highly recommend if you guys haven't seen this documentary that you go out and see it because as a guy who oh, loves yeah. the story behind the scenes, this, this has so many great tidbits in it. Yeah. Uh, I loved the, uh, the whole idea of, yeah, they, they talking about, uh, they also compare him to, they, they show the scenes in like Kubrick films where the camera like is just focused on like a large crew of people. And then when like a fight takes place, the camera goes right in into it. Like they showed the scene in Clockwork Orange where it's like this scene from afar. And then when the violence starts, it goes right up in your face and it's it's handheld and following the action. And then they, they do that with the chestburster scene later where it's like this wide shot of everybody eating at the table. Everybody's having fun. And then boom, we get close up. Camera's moving all over, following the action of uh, what's going on with Kane. There, there's stuff like that uh, throughout. And uh, yeah, it, it just, I, I, they also compared him to Robert Altman. And yes. the, the way that they compared it to MASH where, and, and it's weird, you never think about these things. But right. it's one of the only movies where there's an entire cast on the screen at one time. And they're not speaking in lines of dialogue at each other one at a time they're all it's like family dinner where they're right. all just yelling at each other and they're talking at normal volume and you know i just had passover and easter dinner last weekend and that's exactly what it's like it's like everybody's at the table everybody's talking everybody's passing stuff around there's no right. it's my turn to talk now it's your turn to talk and i feel like that's oh that it, that feels like something in the screenwriting process where it would be very easy to just say, okay, this person speaks, then this person speaks. How do you even write a scene like that where everybody's talking at one time? It, I feel like in the script, it would just say casual dinner conversation. That's right. <laughs> right. That's and, right. All right. Go. And everybody just starts talking. Right. 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 Or they might say there's like a murmur in the room of all different conversations. And then they would like probably focus on specific dialogue. That's important to the plot. But yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I know that type of filmmaking, um, they do it a lot. I think they do it in Spielberg films too. I mean, obviously like, you know, they use the Robert Altman example and it's, it's not just him though. Um, but I always wanted like a term for that or something. And they, they just kind of succinctly explained it. The one guy, I didn't know that director they, I, and I didn't write down his fucking name either, but he, wrote, he made a movie called Holidays. Do you know who I'm talking about? The guy that he, the one that makes that point, he says, sonically, the movie feels like a Robert Altman film. And he's this kind of younger director compared to the other guys in this documentary. Was he it Adam Mortimer? Adam Egypt Mortimer? I, he he did Daniel Isn't Real also, which. Oh, was, shit. Oh, man. If he's the if guy that's that. that's who you're talking about. Okay. If he's the guy that in, in the, because, you know, in the, when they do a documentary, they always say like what else they made. And it said holidays, and I should have fucking looked them up. Holidays but, um, was a, an anthology, so okay. he might have yeah. done like a scene in that anthology. Okay, so you're saying that he made uh, John dies at the end? No, Daniel isn't real. Oh, Daniel isn't real. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm mixing that up with fucking that's um, what's his face's movie too? Uh, Don Coscarelli. Wrong, yeah, wrong Coscarelli did that, and that was based on a book by an author. That I love. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're going off on a little tangent there. But like, um, 
one of the points I wanted to make, though, while we're still talking about Ridley, is that nowadays, and I think that if you and I made movies, we'd probably be like this too. But I think from our generation, classics, a lot yeah. of times we, we would make movies and reference scenes in other movies, right? But Ridley, and I know this from like Blade Runner documentaries I've watched and from this documentary, Ridley is often inspired by artwork. And I know that for that chestburster scene, they refer to Francis Bacon. And to me, oh my that, God, those, yeah, those paintings, that, that, right, right. That's what elevates the chestburster scene, and that's what elevates Ridley's work in general. You know, you and I, and I'm fucking just making plugs left and right today. But you and I, we talked about Raised by Wolves on the Comic Books Transform channel. We went in depth about that show. We did every episode. Um, Ridley is obviously involved in that show too. That show has religious iconography like up the ass, like all over the place, amazing shots. Um, and it's just like he draws from a much older set of imagery from artwork, you know, and yeah. it shows. That's why his things are like elevated. That you know? it's I, I'm really embarrassed because I was I was saying how like Ridley Scott, such a visual storyteller. And I didn't mention Blade Runner. And and I think the reason I didn't mention Blade Runner is because I don't love Blade Runner. And I, but as somebody who loves film history, I will always say that it's one of the, it, it has to be ranked highly amongst sci-fi films ever made just because of how influential it was to the genre in the decades since. It's been 40 years since the movie came out and it's still impacting uh, the way people make movies. Yeah. It's a gorgeous movie. Yes. I I don't love it. I, I still don't think I've ever stayed awake through it, but <laughs> it's beautiful. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful movie full of amazing shots. Yes. And that's just another, you know, Ridley Scott visual masterpiece. Yes. Yes. And uh, you know, it's it's because of him that that alien is so embedded into our consciousness and that you know his appreciation of art i'm sure lets giger kind of run wild and the alien is just like a part of our collective human unconsciousness well it's that's... subconsciousness i'm sorry not our, yeah. we're all knocked out but uh what i was gonna say was that a big focus of this documentary is about sort of how they channel like stuff from ancient artwork and Greek myths and our like dreams and mm -hmm. it's into alien, you know, and, and you kind of got excited when I mentioned the art and I think you were going to re reference this Francis Bacon painting that uh, is the influence for the chestburster imagery. And um, they do this whole thing in this documentary where they go off on this tangent about Francis Bacon. And I actually didn't know a lot about him, but in this documentary, they talk about how he had a certain style up until he was about 35 then he releases this one image, which is called, I believe it was called a study at the foot of the crucifixion. And it has these like three different images and they're all these weird, distorted creatures, these like kind of nightmare creatures. And the thing is, is that uh, Giger's alien imagery is so iconic and taps into something to where when you look at any artist afterwards, you can, or at least horror artist, you can feel that influence. Of yeah. Eager. 
And I feel like Giger and Ridley Scott were directly influenced by this Francis Bacon artwork. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it, we, we did a, a deep dive uh, of Predator not that long ago. Yeah. When, when you're talking about the all-time movie monsters or creations, the alien and alien is got to be near the top. It, and if it wasn't for the artwork of Giger, it, who knows what it might have looked like. And, I mean, we could talk about the filmmaking and everything else, but if the xenomorph doesn't look like the xenomorph, then this is probably, uh, you know, they make reference to one of the original titles of the movie was Star Beast, and it it would probably look like a cheesy, uh, B level movie called Star Beast, um, right. and it would probably look like one of the million of movies that uh, came out from eighty to eighty five that were all. <laughs> Actually, probably all of them produced by Roger Corman, who <laughs> was very close to actually making the movie because he was right. going to, he actually told Dan O'Bannon to go and find more money. And if you can't find more money, I'll make the movie. And and then the joke, of course, is that Corman then went and made like 50 alien ripoffs. Right. Like Galaxy right, right. of Terror and, and uh, Creepazoids. Like all these movies are just, shameless alien ripoffs that came out in the decade after and most of them are produced by Corman. Yeah, yes. And and when the documentary is at that point where we're talking about Roger Corman and they even are interviewing him, um, they talk about this one line that Dan O'Bannon said, which is, I didn't steal from anyone, I stole from everyone. I have and, a list of all the things he stole from too. <laughs> right, right, right. And and you just referenced the sort of, the the pre-alien sci-fi movies and then the post-alien sci-fi movies and what's really interesting is i've watched all these documentaries on alien but i don't know if i've seen all of these references that they made of course like they reference the original thing often when they talk about alien they reference lovecraft and um at the mountains of madness they, they reference that often when they're talking about aliens influences but then they showed like these different comics and some of the plots for like these comics were like the same fucking plot as Alien. Seed, Seeds look. of Jupiter from 1951. Right. Uh, yeah, Death Rattle was one. And then they, they had like another list of like 50s and 60s sci-fi films that I had never, uh, I, I like I had heard of It, The Terror from Beyond Space, but I, I didn't really know what it was about. And then you hear the plot and you're like, oh, that sounds kind of familiar. Or yes, Queen yes. of Queen of Blood, that was right. another one. Uh, where yeah. they show the scene at the end where it's like the queen has laid all these eggs, and they're. Uh, I also think you know uh, the whole first part of the documentary spends a lot of time talking about Dan O'Bannon and O'Bannon. He, I feel like he was so close to becoming a much more recognizable name, and he should be a more recognizable name. You know, right. he he made Dark Star with John Carpenter. They basically right. have a falling out over who gets the director credit. Right. And then they basically go off and make competing alien films. You right. know, a couple of years. You know, Carpenter, of course, goes and makes The Thing in 1982. Uh, O'Bannon writes Alien. Uh, he, he also wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead. 
uh, right. one of my favorite zombie movies, you know, horror comedies ever made. Uh, and then he kind of just like he made a few other movies, and then he got I think he got really sick in the uh, early two thousands, and he passed away uh, rather young. Uh, the the documentary said from complications from Crohn's disease. I I thought he had cancer too, but I don't know. But like they yeah. showed clips of him and later in life, and he looked very worn down. But he's he's a name that I don't feel enough people recognize like he was part of that same usc group with like carpenter and just before them i think was like lucas and spielberg and it was right they even like the, the whole they even start with like star wars and close encounters as like the two aliens movies that come out right before alien right. and and then they make the joke about how uh, by 1982 we decided America wanted its aliens cuddly, so they ET was great, and everybody hated the thing. Right, right, yeah. I mean, um, it, it's obviously a, a very different alien movie from like what we remember as kids, and like you know what everyone was obsessed with back in the day, and even Star Wars too. You know, like Star Wars was such a big impact then all of a sudden you have alien at this bleak fucking realistic kind of horror space horror movie um you know uh i haven't seen other because I, I know you talk about return of the living dead a lot and i actually have not seen it i know that uh when we did the lovecraft month you covered a lovecraft story that uh o'bannon made into a movie right what, what's that one the re that was that the a, resurrected the did resurrected he, right right did he write that yeah, he he directed it too. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah I, I have it up there. I have to look. Right, right. But so so anyway, um, but Dan O'Bannon's wife gets interviewed quite a bit, and she talks about how like he grew up in this very rural area and they didn't have a telephone, and uh he was able to get books like by having someone like drop off a box of books. They didn't even have like <laughs> a library in their town, you know, she, and, and the documentary kind of bookends it because they talk they have that in the beginning, and at the very end, she talks about how like he kind of came from the past, but then he could see into the future. Or like he grew up in this farm, but they ended up in space, she says, right? And, um, you know, obviously he was able to channel something. And, and one of the things that I think is really weird, and I kind of wanted to get your take on it. Um, there's a guy in the documentary, here, here I am as an asshole, I, I don't remember the guy's name, but but um, he's a professor and he usually talks about, um, what's his face? Joseph Campbell stuff. Like it says Joseph Campbell, he's like a Joseph Campbell teacher in this documentary. They show him quite a bit. And he talks about like, like myth a lot. I mean, that makes sense since he works at like a Joseph Campbell school or whatever. Right. Um, and that's one of the things about this documentary that the other alien documentary doesn't have is where it sort of talks about like our human experience and how like, alien like connects with us deeply and it, it like makes it kind of metaphysical and the thing that was so weird about this movie is that when i first started watching it they have this weird scene with these like old women kind of like i'm sorry women that are in the movie but like these sort of haggish looking women like kind of wake up and they have like metallic teeth and i i kind of had to check shudder a couple of times i'm like am i watching the right fucking movie like what is going on i did exactly the same thing i did not remember that opening and yeah. i was like did i put on the okay no all right let's see where this goes 
Right. And so like, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this documentary, but that opening I felt was like a little out of place. That, that might be my one detractor. I'm like, okay, well, what, why is there this opening? Is it just to kind of stimulate us before we just get to the talking heads parts? Um, and I know they make this connection with the Furies that are in Greek mythology. I know a little bit about the Furies. There's actually um, an arc of the Sandman comic, which is one of my favorite comics. And that's one of my favorite arcs of that comic uh, is called the Furies and they're in it. Uh, but I couldn't really make that connection with the Furies and the Chestburster. And I was wondering if you were able to do that. I, no, I, I was a little confused. I mean, I, I get the idea that like, they do spend a lot of time talking about historically, like the, the documentary is called Memory, the Origins of Alien. And they really go into, uh, for the most part, the origins, like things that went on to bring this movie to light. And they do, like you mentioned, they talk about Greek history. They talk yeah. about, uh, um, is it Giger uh, went to Egypt and he fell in love with Egypt. And some of the early storyboards were uh, that when they land on LV-426, there's actually a pyramid. Um, and so I, I just kind of made a connection to those three women at the beginning are, you know, almost like primordial beings um, kind of in the way that the engineer would be at the beginning of Prometheus. Mm. And it just, you know, that, uh, or like the witches at the beginning of Macbeth or something to that mm. effect. And like, you know, it's kind of a, like a darkness that, lives inside of us that creates these horrible nightmarish stories and art uh, and things like that. So th that was the only connection that I could make. I, I was, I did the exact same thing as you though. Like the movie started, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> and then like two minutes later, I'm like, Oh, okay. We're watching the movie. Okay. Right, right, right. Well, when they reference the Furies, there's a lot of discussion about like the patriarchy and uh, misogyny and then femininity, right? And how Alien is kind of this response to the male treatment of women, right? And then they talk about that Alien, and I've, I've heard this many, many times over with Alien. There's, you know, there's male rape in it and there's male birth and it's a fantasy for male rape and a fantasy of male birth and you know it's just like it's not even like subtext it's just like right in your face um and i think that that's that that's what the guy said when he when he woke up and he was like i got it the alien fucks him like right it, right 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 <laughs> yeah it's like literally in your face it's on your face right yeah you know? and so you're like um it, it's so interesting because they even mentioned it in this documentary that it's like somehow this movie got approved like they, they, they let this idea go through although they it's created right and um like the whole idea of the chestburster itself because they talk about it in this documentary and i i keep saying that they talk about it in this documentary you gotta see this documentary because it's so fucking good go see it if you haven't seen it yet but like um uh the guy from turner classic movies i think he's the ben one Mankiewicz. Yeah. right he's in this documentary too i think he's the guy but basically, he talks about the setup for the chestburster scene. And I think the guy that directed Holidays talks about it, too. And they talk about how, like, you know that it's coming. 
the chest bursters come and they give you these sort of little clues like Kane coughs a little bit and your mind kind of makes that connection of oh something's happening then they talk about how the scene itself is like lit up and there's this one shot when Kane first wakes up after the facehugger comes off and the whole crew is in this one shot right and so that in a typical horror movie that's where you could relax because you'd feel safe like here's everybody Mm -hmm. and it's super brightly lit but then it just like flips on its fucking head they even they even make a comparison um where they're like this this is the perfect ridley scott shot oh and then here's a shot in alien covenant where ridley scott does it but does it badly and i (laughs) i thought that was so funny how they're like look at how great ridley scott is and the way he does this shot with everyone in the room brightly lit you would never expect it you would expect it to look like this crappy shot in Alien Covenant. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's and I'm right. like, I'm like, they 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 really did throw shade a little bit at, at the at Alien Covenant, which I think that's a movie that deserves some shade thrown at it. So <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. When they showed that scene with Billy Crudup in this movie, and then the, I remember the chestburster coming out and it doesn't look like the chestburster in Alien. It's like a it fully like a little formed mini. alien. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I hated that shit. And like, I remember David kind of goes like this and the alien goes, oh, so bad, so bad. But like, look, let's go into that chestburster scene because that's such a big part of this documentary. And um, like, it's like masterful filmmaking, right? Because it, first of all, they don't really talk about it in this documentary, but John Hurt, we really should talk about how good his fucking acting is in that particular scene. Because... There's no doubt in your mind when you watch this movie that there's a creature burrowing out of this fucking man. And like the way that he reacts, it's like that's amazing fucking acting. And they they talk about setting up the scene and how like he's in the table essentially and he's like sitting in a certain way and the rest is like a dummy and they have this puppet. I think before we even get to that, we should talk about Giger's Puppets? Did you, do you remember that part of the documentary? The chickens? Yeah, yeah. Right, and then they had like that big, the big puppet that looked like a, a turkey with no feathers. They described right. it. Like some of those are legitimately bad. Like there's yeah. no other way to describe them. Like if that's what the chestburster looked like, nobody would have loved this movie. Right, and, right, right. And then, and then the funny thing is like Veronica Cartwright, uh, the the actress who's in the movie is like and then they bring out this like penis looking thing and right. you're like yeah that's pretty much what they went with the puppet that you know right this penis which go, which penis. went back to the bacon uh francis bacon uh painting but like right right exactly exactly and they say that it does that one scream when it comes out right and they said that that's kind of t- tying it to the furies that that's like their weird kind of loose connection to the furies but it's interesting because, you know, we've been talking, well, you, you've actually on our channel been talking about cursed films a lot. And I've been getting into cursed films on Shudder because we did uh, Rosemary's Baby. And then um, Sherry and I just watched the Poltergeist episode last night, too. And it's kind of interesting because, like, the girl from Poltergeist, um, people thought that she had Crohn's disease. But then she had that weird thing with her intestines. But that that's, okay, that's a different thing altogether. But, like... Um, on the cursed films, they talk about the myth about Alien, where the myth is that the people didn't know what the chestburster was or what was going to happen, and it was like a shock to them. And it's only kind of partially true. They hadn't seen the puppet, 
but they knew it was coming. And like, it's kind of funny because I didn't know that the chest burster kind of fucked up the first time they tried it too. Yeah. You know? It's one of those happy accidents, like the shark not working in Jaws where right. it just, it, it works out to everyone's advantage and it makes the movie better. Uh, my favorite thing in the whole documentary is the, they, they keep the camera on, they show you the original footage and they keep the camera on Veronica Cartwright. See, she does the, oh God, with the blood. And then she literally trips and does a full like back roll. Right. Because she tripped over a stool on set. And then she's like, and then I, I realized the scene was still going. So I just popped back up and ran back to where the camera was and was like, ah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's so yeah. funny why, oh man. Um, I love I, her and I love Lambert and I love the whole crew. And um, like that chest burster scene, the, you never realize it because their acting is so good, but they're talking about how like when they put it um, came together, they used offal, which is like cow innards or whatever. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of the guts. And like they were saying that the lights were on and like it's just basically cooking it. There must have been this like miserable fucking smell. Yeah. She she described she's like, you didn't have to there were no signs where the set was. You just followed the smell. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's like I, I think like you know, uh, as we kind of like wrap this up, you know, and, and since we're doing it on all three channels, um, I think that we should actually just focus on the crew of Alien, like the actual uh, crew of the Nostromo, because in our other two shows, we're not going to be talking about that particular crew. But yet, like the crew is so fucking important. All the characters are so important. And it's they only talk about Ripley a little bit in this documentary. And they pretty much spend the same amount of screen time talking about Ash. And yeah. the thing is, um, last year when I did this, I talked with my wife, Sherry, about Alien. And we talked a lot about Ripley and we talked a lot about Ash. We kind of started out with Ash and we went to Ripley. Um, and you, see, there's another plug. You guys go check that out on the Anchor Peak channel. We talk about Alien. But um, like what they talk about with Ash in this documentary is really fucking interesting, too. Do you agree? I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, and that's another uh, another great actor who's who just passed away recently, Ian Holm. Um, I had so much trouble looking at him in The Fifth Element uh, when he was like a good guy because all I had remembered him was this movie uh, and I just remembered being scared to death of him like especially you know and then you it's one of those things where you go back and you watch the movie again and you're like of course he's working for the corporation like uh, you uh, uh, makes perfect sense like everything he does uh sabotages the crew along the way um but one thing that i i loved and you know because obviously Ripley is the character everyone talks about. One of the first, you know, f female uh, protagonists, uh, one of the first lead females. Uh, the fact that all the characters were written unisex um, and that she basically, like, they just have their last names. So right. it, she could have, they very easily could have cast a man to be Ripley right. with no change at all in the dialogue. Right. Uh, which... I think it's, was it Clark Wolf or Clark? Clark Wolf. Yeah. 
she she makes the point like it, it, isn't that a little it's it's almost insulting that like the greatest female protagonist of all time was written kind of with without femininity at all into the yeah. equation and maybe that's why people associate her as being a great character uh which yeah. is kind of annoying to think about but i love that the documentary focused a lot on uh brett and parker oh yes because yeah. to me i one of the things that again you know when you watch this movie as a kid but whereas the first time you watch it you're not picking up the themes of like you know corporatization uh in the workforce you're not picking up on the you know the workers are expendable versus the the, the bottom line of the capitalist you know, corporation at the helm. You don't pick up on any of that when you're a kid. As an adult, and now you're part of the machine, you're a cog in the machine. Yeah. You really start to identify. And the fact that not only are they really developed characters, the grunts, but they're, especially Parker, is like outspokenly right all the time. Uh, yeah. Ash comes back on the ship with the, with the, alien on his face ash i said uh kane, kane. comes back on yeah. the ship with the alien on his face and parker's like we should just freeze him freeze him yeah. have the doctors look at him when we get home why are we why are we studying him he's obviously infected with something just put him yeah. in the, and nobody listens to him because he's just a grunt worker right and and i love that the two of them care more about like the bottom line like our are we getting, we're getting a raise, right? Like we're, right. we're going to make our overtime, right? It's, right. it's the questions that like I have, like I, I just applied uh, in New York. We have regents exams in high school. I just applied to uh, do regents grading uh, okay. in June to get extra money. So I'm like, oh, am yeah. I going to get this? Am I going to get this like extra money gig? Cause I could really yeah. use like three extra days of, uh, you know, overtime pay as we go into the summer. That would be really nice. Would be nice. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like now as an adult, I identify more with uh, Parker and Brett than I do with any of the other characters on the ship. Right, right, right. And um, it, it's so interesting too, because like the the best, one of the best parts of the documentary, because there's a lot of great parts, but one of the best parts you kind of just referred to is that they, uh, Parker and Brett, kind of recommend freezing Kane, like you just said. Um, and you see Dallas kind of thinking about it and the way that the shot is framed, they talk about it in this documentary, how mm -hmm. like they're in the front. And so like they're closer to the audience and Dallas is further back. And it's all about like the, oh, no, 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 no. Dallas is right next to the audience at first. And Parker he gets up and he walks away. He gets up yeah. and he walks away. And then Lambert comes in and she says some kind of like sci-fi kind of mumbo jumbo shit. And it's like, you know, he makes a decision. But as you were talking about these characters, it just made me realize, I don't know why it took me to be 39 fucking years old, having seen Alien many times, but like every single member of the crew is like a noteworthy, acclaimed actor. It's like, they some of them probably had careers beforehand, but then this movie just is like such a cultural event. Every, there's no every single of those actors is acclaimed and you can point out movies that they're in and like um i think for me as a kid or like as a teenager getting into movies and a young adult like i didn't necessarily recognize harry dean stanton i always knew yafet koto from like homicide life on the street he was like the main uh chief or whatever 
But like, uh, I didn't really recognize Harry Dean Stanton. And now, like, Sherry and I are watching Big Love on uh, HBO Max, and that's an old show. But he's he's the villain on that. And then he's been in a lot of David Lynch things, going back to David Lynch. Like, oh, he's yeah. in Straight Man, and he's in the new Twin Peaks that came out. Um, and everyone in this movie is fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to go back to Ian Holm because, um, what do you call it? Uh, one of the points I didn't even realize, just like that scene we were just discussing, and Clark Wolf makes this point too. She says that a lot of the shots with Ash are him by himself. Whereas with the other cast members, it's usually like multiple cast members together. And it's like your mind kind of makes that connection of like, this guy's different. And then of course, when, when you find out he's a robot, you're like, Oh, okay. Well, it makes is sense. It, now, now, am I misremembering? Cause I haven't watched the actual film of alien since I introduced it to Charlotte, probably two years ago. Okay. There is, I think there's a line where when you hear it, it just feels like a piece of throwaway dialogue where Dallas mentions to, maybe it's Ripley about how Ash is a, a last minute replacement. He's yes. like the me- he's a medical officer and he was a last minute replacement. Yes. Like the other doctor got sick. Right. And so like that, those are, those are like the little things that when you go back and actually watch Alien again, you you pick up on mm-hmm. and, and like some of the the looks that he has like mm-hmm. when ash starts coughing he almost has this look of like excitement like oh it's mm. gonna happen like mm-hmm. everybody else is like what, what the fuck's going on and ash yeah. is like hmm. <laughs> yep 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 yeah yeah and um you know just to kind of like prep people for our aliens conversation it's kind of interesting because like ash is so sinister and he like really is the representation of this corporation in Alien, which they don't really talk about Wayland Utani too much in this documentary. I don't think in Alien they even call it Wayland Utani. I think they just say the company yeah. a lot. And then once you get to Aliens, then it's like Wayland Utani. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because one, one other point I wanted to make before we ended was that um, so much of this is about Giger and the creation of the alien creature. And then you referenced Predator before. And it's interesting because like Predator and Alien are sort of intertwined at this point. And, uh, you know, the guy who essentially created the effective look of the Predator, Stan Winston. And then it's interesting because like, and then in Aliens, he made the alien queen. So like, they're kind of like their DNA is sort of like, you know, wrapped up in each other. And um, did did you have anything else you want to say about this documentary? I mean... Aside from go watch it, no, it, it's the, the best. the The best part of a documentary about a film or a movie, like a, a movie series, you know, we we've interviewed David Weiner several times, and he does documentaries about every you know '80s horror, '80s science fiction. Um, but to to do a deep dive, ninety minutes on a movie. And focus on just a few parts of that, and to keep it compelling, uh, it, it's it's really it's hard to do. And and this guy Alexander O. Philippe, he's done it several times now. I think Leap of Faith, his Exorcist documentary, is still on Shutter. It, yes. I, I I think it is. Uh, Seventy eight fifty two is available uh, on streaming. People versus George Lucas is available on streaming. Uh, so if, if you like this, if you go on Shutter and you like memory, then you should check out his other work because uh, it's really great stuff. 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I am so thankful that you mentioned this documentary to me, and I'm glad that we covered this on this channel. Uh, like I've said multiple times, Danny is also going to be around for when we talk about aliens on the Anchor P channel. And this is, even though we're recording it early, this is on Alien Day. So you can probably head over to the Anchor P channel now and watch that video too. And then, of course, on the Comic Books Transform channel, we're talking about um, the first trade for the Alien comic, which was put out by Disney now. So, yeah, we love fucking Alien. We love this fucking movie. Danny is always putting up Shutter content on our channel, talking about things that are on Shutter. And uh, what, what do we got coming up in the next week or so? Um, I always put you right on the spot, right at the very yeah, end. <laughs> I, I, I know what I, I just I just did a, a short review of the seller, uh, which is a new Shutter exclusive, which is genuinely scary, and I I totally recommend everybody checking out. It's not a perfect movie, but it's scary as heck, uh, and it has some of those Lovecraftian themes in there. Um, Charlotte and I have done a few reviews of uh, uh, Shutter horror movies, Candyman, Halloween Three. Uh, are we covering the devils? Are we going to do the devils next week? Or? Let's do the devils next week. You and me. Okay. Yeah. Um, Ken Russell's the devils next week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That uh -oh, definitely. And we're going to try to get, um, we're going to try to get a few interviews in over the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, some yeah. authors, some other people. We'll see what happens. See what falls yeah. into place. Yeah. We always got hard content coming on. Did I just say coming on you? We always got our content coming out on this channel. <laughs> but um, you've been you've been watching, you've been looking at way too many uh, uh, Francis Bacon paintings. I think so, and then just Ash with all that white stuff and the coming out of his mouth. Okay, hey, wow, what a way to end this episode. But anyway, um, Danny's always putting out content on the channel. Like there's at least three videos per week, thanks to Danny, and then I'm usually in at least one of them. But uh, if you haven't liked, subscribe to the Last Cast, please do. And we will burst out of y'all's chest next week. See y'all.